G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it, it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25-year-old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater Today we're speaking with author and speaker Wendy Burns She's a transformational coach and she does a lot of work with the John Maxwell leadership team We're going to hear a bit of her story today Welcome along Wendy, tell us your your backstory, where were you born and raised? Hey Matt, good to be on with you today on History Makers I was born in a little country town called Urala in New South Wales, in between Armidale and Tamworth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah, that's where I grew up. You know, I'm a Tamworth boy. We, we, could, we could be neighbours. Oh, we could. Look, I went to school for a little bit in Tamworth. We may have been in the same school. No, it was an all-girls school, so I don't oh. think so. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's a good, a good part of the country. And uh, were you raised there? Did you, how many years did you spend there? I was there till I think I was about 14 when I left. Sorry, you're taking me back a few years. Mm-hmm. After my father died when I was 13, we did start to get on the move, my mother and myself. So about 15, I think we landed in Sydney. So would you like me to tell you a little bit about that story, Matt? Yeah, tell us your story. It is it is quite a, a heavy story. And we should just give a warning for any little ears, any uh, any uh, children listening, um, uh, parents, uh, a parental advisory uh, for any parents listening as well. Yeah, absolutely. It does have some, I guess, in, in the world, some unspeakable things, but if we don't speak about them, nothing changes. So I was born, as I said, in a little country town called Urella, and my history is from the Gamilaroi people, so that's the, the um, uh, First Nation people from that area. We were a really dysfunctional family, um, three sisters, one brother, two of them have passed away. Um, by the of 13, my life was incredibly not okay. It was filled with physical abuse and alcoholism. But this was normal. I knew no difference. This is what life was and that's what I thought life was all about. On the particular day that really changed my life and defined where I would go, it was snowing. We used to get snow in Urella. Um, my parents were alcoholics, not that I knew what that was then, but they'd been drinking all day at a hotel. We finally make it home later on during the day and um, my father goes into my bedroom and lies down on my bed. My mother passes out in another room. Remember, we're little children in this. Um, My father calls me in and he asks me to get him his rifle. And, you know, being an obedient daughter, that's what I was. I idolised my dad. I would have done anything he asked me to do. So why wouldn't I get him his rifle? I had no idea what he was about to do. I handed him his gun or the rifle and he said immediately, this is how you kill yourself. He put the barrel in his mouth and he blew uh, his brains out in front of me and I was 13. So the horror that I witnessed that day really was unfathomable. Um, I was the only one that saw it. I grabbed my sisters and my brother and ran out of that house. 
I don't know why I didn't even think about my mum, but I just didn't want them to see what I'd witnessed. And I think that's where the, the thing of control and responsibility attached itself to me. Because really, in my mind, was racing, I'd just kill my dad. Not that I pulled that trigger, but in my little 13-year-old mind, I had killed him. So guilt and shame, responsibility that wasn't mine, control, attached myself that day. To me, that day as I ran down the road, it got worse. Who would have think that that would get worse than what I'd experienced as that 13-year-old that day? We uh, stayed with an auntie and uncle that night. No counselling at all, because I was 13, we're talking many years ago. Stayed with an auntie and uncle. Uh, I was already in that role of responsibility, trying to console my mum, who was devastated. Finally, when she went to sleep, I, I remember getting up and walking through the house, crying. I was really feeling a bit um, inconsolable. I was so upset. And my dear, loving uncle said, come on, come, come get into bed with me and um, let, me, let me cuddle you, let me console you. And what his way of doing that was to sexually assault me. So not only was, did I witness that horror of my father, um, he sexually assaulted me that night. My auntie came in and caught him and blamed me. So right then and there, I, my heart was in so much pain and so was my body, and I was 13. Mm. I know it's a, a big story, but that's just a short nutshell of it. Wow. I mean, I can't begin to imagine uh, the trauma that you must have been going through at that time. Tell us a bit more of your journey. Um, what uh, what was your, your teenage years like after that incident? Uh, terrible. My teenage years were pretty horrid. Um, I picked up that responsibility of control for my, my sisters and brother, my mum, my, my brothers and sisters, um, the two youngest ones and then my youngest brother were put into an orphanage because my mum was drinking so much and of course we were, you know, the authorities were looking at us then because of what had happened. My elder sister ran away because she couldn't cope with it at all. My mum had lost her drinking partner, so she decided that I would become her drinking partner. So between, you know, the age of, of 13 and, um, and 15, really, I would, would often be drunk because you're just climbing with alcohol. So life was pretty ordinary, to say the least. It was pretty um, difficult. By the age of 15 now, we're in Sydney, um, my mum was out of control. I was trying to help her as much as I can. She was addicted to a, a drug that my father used to use. Uh, he had uh, cancer, so he used to use that to kill the pain of cancer. Uh, and then one day, um, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I had her admitted to hospital. And from then on, I decided I needed to move out. I couldn't make any difference to her. I still, my life was still spinning out of control, really, Matt, until I was 34. So, I mean, it really is an incredible story. Uh, I know that there was a big change in your life at the age of 34. Tell us what happened next. Oh, thanks, Matt. Look, just before I go there, I just want to recap on a little bit of what I've already shared. So here I was, I was at 13, my father committed suicide. On my 17th birthday, my mother also took her own life. So yes, as, as I was saying, my life was spinning out of control. But what was happening for me is we repeat as adults what we see uh, as children. So, you know, in, in my childhood, in my teenage years, I'd seen this pattern of behavior from my family, uh, the actions of those that were really close to me that, you know, number one, that when life got too much, you could choose to 
to to make a decision to take it or not, which we know is not not the the right way. But also, I picked up all that guilt and shame, that worthlessness, all that baggage that I'd carried. Not only that, I picked up the responsibility uh, for others' actions, and I think we do that, don't we? So much we pick up the responsibility for something somebody else has done, and think we need to change it, and that becomes the the baggage that we carry and for me I carried that baggage into my first marriage uh, which ended up failing and then into my second marriage so here I am I'm 34 this baggage is so heavy not only am I carrying that generational inheritance of suicide and alcoholism from my parents because that's what I'd inherited but I was starting to also go down that same road so for me there was a real realization that if I wanted this to be different for my children, then something needed to change. So the only thing that I could think to do was to go to church. So I went to a little Anglican church uh, in Newcastle to these graceful, loving people that uh, I'm sure I turned up there and I was um, hungover uh, because I was developing the same patterns as my parents. One night I was invited to go and listen to a speaker in the city of Newcastle, um, and I wasn't going to go. Why would I do that? But, you know, the Holy Spirit moves in mysterious ways, right? When God is calling you, he's calling you. Mm. And I went, and it changed my life. I sat in that pew, and when they did an altar call, I think I was the first one out. I was literally, literally drawn to go out and be prayed for. When God gets our attention, he really does. That night, the lady that prayed for me said to me, your Heavenly Father knows the guilt you carried over your father's death. These people didn't know me. They didn't know my story. Wow. They didn't know the guilt I carried. Yeah, like, God got my attention. I, I, there was somebody that knew the guilt that I carried. Even my husband didn't know that. My family didn't know that. So God got my attention that night. Um, did I, you know, did I wake up the next day in different circumstances? No way. I woke up in the same circumstances, but what I woke up was with a seed of hope that there was somebody bigger and greater that knew what had happened and the guilt that I'd carried. My life changed. And tell me a bit about the journey of forgiveness, because you know there must have been a lot of unforgiveness in your heart from what had happened. How, how did you how did you learn to forgive? Oh, look, that's a journey in itself, isn't it? And it's not an immediate journey, and it's something we do have to. It took me quite a long time because I still had to deal with all the stuff in my life, that baggage, because we know um, our baggage empowers our past and it won't allow us to define our future. So so forgiveness, it started with my dad, uh, realizing that for me to be free from, from still the guilt I carried, even though I'd accepted Jesus, I still had to deal with the guilt. And, you know, for me, forgiving him, but also the biggest thing, and I think it's the thing we really struggle with, Matt, is forgiving ourselves mm. for our role or our perceived role in a circumstance that has affected us or it's affected somebody else. So forgiving my dad uh, was a big journey. Forgiving my mum uh, for not rescuing me in that and allowing me to be the adult when she was. But then forgiving myself was where the real release came. 
so that there could be a different generational inheritance for my family. And truly, I don't know how you do that without uh, the Holy Spirit and, and the, the presence of the Lord in your life, because I know that's what uh, was imparted to me to be able to do it. And caring, loving people within my church, uh, my my circle of influence, when I you know finally realized that for things to change, then I really needed to um, to go down that road of forgiveness because here I was, 34, made the decision to accept Jesus. It was many, many years on that I realized that I still needed to go through this. I still carried, I sat in church, still contemplating suicide because the thing about these things we're talking about, that generational inheritance of suicide, guilt and shame, we don't share it. Why would we share that? because people will think less of us when we really, that's a lie of the enemy. We need to share where we're at. We need to talk about what's going on inside of us. And that's when the real healing can begin. I heard a quote from somebody last night on one of my calls and um, he said that he heard, he's in Andy Stanley's church in America. And he said, you can't, we don't get a do-over. And unless we actually face the demons in our lives, they go to the cellar of our souls and they lift weights. And I love that. I thought, isn't that true? Mm. Unless we deal with the stuff that has attached, ourself, attached itself to us, we can't fully walk into the journey that God has for us. Well, it really is an incredible story of, uh, you know, a horrific start to life, but through God's redeeming love and power, uh, a transformational story. Uh, you've now written a book about it called Remarkable You, and you're also working as a, a transformational coach with the uh, John Maxwell leadership team. Tell us what life's like for you now. Life could not be any more different than what it was as a child. But I, I wrote my story because I felt God had led me to write it, that this was a story that needed to be shared uh, because we know the power of our story is important. It's a testimony. And you know what, Matt? We all have one. We all have a story that is transformational in some form. doesn't have to be as big as mine or it can be bigger or smaller, but it is a story to be shared. I joined, um, I worked in government for 20 years, still working through all this baggage. When I finally left government, I started my own consultancy. And in that role, I realized that there was more that I needed. And as God does, he led me to the John Maxwell team. We call it JMT, and I call it, for me, it's Jesus Mission Team. Um, I, it's, uh, it's changed my life. Uh, the minute I walked into the room, the first time I went to America to a certification event, I knew I was home. I knew God had brought me there to be part of this uh, move of significance to change the world, to bring transformation. Uh, and it transformed me. Look, I, I went to Paraguay with John and a small group of coaches uh, to work on bringing transformation to the nation of Paraguay. And you know what? As much as we did transformation, there, it, it transformed me because it, it led me to see that there is we can bring about change. And what what I do as a transformational coach is I believe in inside-out leadership. What's inside of us matters, and it'll eventually come out of us. So we need to work on what's in us, our values, our moral character, uh, all of those important things so that it then impacts those people around us. So that requires us to have, you know, a, a wise inner circle, you know, to continually grow, to continually work in those areas of character, knowing our values and defining them and really knowing the purpose that we are here on this earth for. 
the good thing about these days is that you know even though you're based in Darwin and you're a coach uh, in in that city, you you can zoom anywhere, you can Skype anywhere. <laughs> so if, if people want to find out more, yeah. um, they can set up a Zoom or a Skype uh, consulting meeting with you. Uh, if the Absolutely. the website is wendyburnsconsulting.com.au or they can search up Wendy Burns at Facebook uh, and uh, find out more about uh, this wonderful book too called Remarkable You. Uh, and uh, I just I just want to say thank you so much for being so honest and open with us, sharing your story. It's amazing what God has done in your life. And uh, Wendy, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.